Can you can it wait speak? Hello. Hello, hello. Speak again? Hello, hello. I'm speaking. I'm just trying to make sure that the volume's not too high so we won't get bleed. Speak speak now. Hello, I am speaking. I'm speaking. I'm speaking. I'm still speaking. Are you still speaking? I'm still speaking. Okay. I'm still speaking. We'll leave it at that. Have you ever wondered what happens to your money when it's sitting in your bank account? Well, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't just sit around in a golden vault. In fact, in order to give you interest on your savings, banks invest your money into different projects around the world. Hello listeners and welcome to Fighting Failure. This is the start of Season 4, where I'm going to be talking about green finance and Hisham is going to be talking about climate justice. I'm your host for this episode, Oscar Archibald. And I am your co-host, Hisham Kanan. This is episode 41, all about the impact of banks and pensions on the environment. Now, don't be turned off by the idea of talking about pensions. This is actually a really fascinating topic that I think doesn't get enough attention uh, from the broader media, um, perhaps for a reason. Um, But uh, there's a quick disclaimer before we start. The information provided in this podcast episode is for educational information purpose only. It's not intended to provide legal, financial, or any other professional advice. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of any banks or financial institutions mentioned. Any reliance you place on the information provided is strictly at your own risk. We do not make any warranties about the completeness, reliability, and accuracy of the information. Any action you take based upon the information provided in this podcast episode is strictly at your own risk and will not be liable for any losses and damages in connection with the use of this information. Always consult with a qualified professional before making any financial or legal decisions. So, um, I guess we'll start, as we always do, with the problems. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you think about the bank as the steward of your money, it makes sense that they want to be uh, putting your money into a good investment. And historically, this made a lot of sense to to put your money in, into fossil fuels because this was a, a promising field. It knew that it generated good returns. Everyone relies on fossil fuels. And, you know, we do still rely entirely on fossil fuels. And that's why the banks keep investing it because they think that this is a field that will bring future growth. Um and thus they can make money by that. And, of course, that returns to both their shareholders who are interested in the banks making a profit, as well as the people using the bank who want interest and they, they want the financial stability of the bank um, because that means, you know, that their loans and whatever is are in good shape and you don't want to lose all your money if the bank collapses. But the obvious problem with this is that by financing, it's trillions of dollars. Um, so I think maybe, maybe in recent years, the top 60 banks combined invest a, around, on average, 700 to 800 billion dollars uh, into f- uh, fossil fuel extraction. So over you know six years or something, that's you know trillions and trillions of dollars being invested into the fossil fuel industry. And you know I don't don't know what sort of perspective I can give on how big a trillion dollars is. But I've got a book sitting on my shelf. It's called How to Spend a Trillion Dollars. So that's that's about just under or just over a year's worth of banks financing fossil fuels. And on the cover, I can see a microscope. You can't tell if that's a moon or a coin. A space shuttle, a pill, a cow, that's actually the moon, a leaf, something else. That just gives you an idea of the sort of things that you could do with a trillion dollars. That's, that's I think, how much uh, Apple is worth around that or, or sort of above that. So it is just a massive, massive amount of money. And this props up the fossil fuel industry massively um, by financing the extraction of new fuels. To get back to what I was saying, um, because we just had a or maybe a sixth technical difficulty of the day. Um, it's not that banks don't see necessarily a window for opportunity in more renewable energy sources or more renewable sources in general. It's that the fossil fuel, in, like the public wants the fossil fuel industry is one reason, A, 
um, because it's been driven for so long by the fossil fuel companies and because it was, you know, we talked about this early, early on, like it was like, you know, gas, you know, gas powered cars were like the manly car and it's been average, you know, it's like they've been pushed and pushed on the public for so long through advertisements, which we've also done an episode on that, that at this point, right, that's the typical expectation is so, I mean, cars, coal plants, like it's just, it's so so ingrained in Western, in like this Western sort of mindset that the public doesn't see a reason to shift, even if they do see a reason to shift. I don't know if that makes sense. And and then also, I mean, it's the fossil, the fossil fuel industry is the quickest way for the these banks to make money because, I mean, to invest in a whole new aspect, to invest in a whole new like energy source or something, you know, or like a whole new, you know, it, it just, it, it takes time for that to sort of catch on and for that to be adopted and for that to be, and then it's, it slows their, their rate of income or their rate of return. And so that's another reason why it's like, they, they keep, they keep put like funding and pushing fossil fuel, um, into like the fossil fuel industry and lobbying for that is because, um, there's just so much benefit in it for them, profit-wise. Yeah, and that, that's important to remember is that while banks are custodians of your money, they are also for-profit enterprises and they have shareholders that they need to please. And those shareholders will often demand certain things of the bank that aren't necessarily best for the bank's customers, um, but are best for the bank's bottom line. So um, obviously, we all know fossil fuels are bad for the environment because burning them releases carbon dioxide, which contributes to the greenhouse effect and hence global warming. Um, which causes a massive number of ecological effects. However, another thing to consider with regards to fossil fuel extraction specifically is the type of methods that are being used to extract the fossil fuels and the impact of those methods directly on the environment as well as the impact of the subsequent burning or use of those fossil fuels, whether that's to burn, in, um, which releases carbon dioxide, or to turn into petrochemicals, uh, which might, you know, might make pesticides, which we, we learned from the agriculture section are really bad for crops and for the land and for human health. Or plastics, uh, a massive petrochemical, which uh, there's and there's just so many cases where drilling and and mining has gone wrong. I mean, there was whatever it was like the Keystone pipeline spill in the U.S. Uh, I think somewhere random that it was like, and it was a big deal. It was I think the biggest onshore spill in something like nine years, about. And it was, let me check, it was something like 14,000 barrels that were spilled. And it's just, I mean, and then there's obviously these, the, the, those like compounds are really, really toxic. And so when they sort of get into our aquatic uh, ecosystems, then there's all types of problems uh, and all types of effects that that can have. Yeah. And if you think about the sort of things that banks are investing in, because the so many fossil fuels have been exploited by now. It's getting harder and harder to find new ones. That doesn't mean that we're running out of oil anytime soon, unfortunately. But uh, instead, it means that banks are financing more risky endeavors. So this could be something like fracking, which is where they pump, I think, is it compressed air or, or compressed water or something? There's some way that they uh, apply a lot of pressure to underground rocks, which sort of flows through the cracks and releases shale gas, um, which was previously unable to be accessed. As that that for America, that just opened up, it made America a massive natural gas producer again, when it previously had pretty much dried up. Um, in the UK, fracking is proving very controversial. 
there was a whole thing where Liz Truss tried to introduce it. They weren't sure if this fracking vote was a vote of no confidence in the government. Um, yeah, very sure. The famous case of the lettuce. Yeah. Um, that, that was great fun, Liz Truss. <laughs> Luckily, it didn't go on too long, though. Otherwise, it would have been... She already did sort of destroy the country a bit um, in only 47 days. Anyway, um, fracking. Yeah. Uh, so I think currently it isn't allowed in the UK, thankfully, because there are um, are big concerns about the effects of it, um, whether that be destabilizing the ground, potential threats of earthquakes, um, and noise concerns for local populations. And noise is noise pollution, something we talked about before. It's obviously a big issue as well for um, wildlife who rely on quiet or sounds for mating or any anything like that. Their communication is perhaps uh, an invisible effect of noise pollution, as well as the just obvious effects of having so much noise everywhere in built environments. Tar sands drilling, Arctic drilling, other examples of really, uh, you know, drilling and, and exploitation of fossil fuel resources that degrades the natural environment as well. Yeah, and it also just takes away from the natural scenery to have a big plant or to have a big uh, drilling site. Like, it just, it's not a great thing to look at, is it? Yeah, and it's it's really bad for health as well. So in Los Angeles and California, there's a massive amount of oil resources um, which which are tapped with these massive oil rigs that are in the middle of Los Angeles. So they do go to a certain effort to, to cloak them all. But there was an instance of there being in this oil rig, this oil, a drilling well, an oil well, that's what they called oil well, that was in the middle of a school playground. And it was just sort of covered up on the outside so no one knew what was inside. And <laughs> what a surprise, everyone got cancer. Um, so it's it's really, they're really dangerous as well. And you can imagine that, you know, we don't really think about how many people might be getting not not many people are going to be getting cancer from oil rigs in the middle of the North Sea. But imagine the effect they might be having on wildlife as well, that it's just un, uncharted and unknown. I mean, if you can give a human cancer, imagine what it can do to all, like, the vulnerable species. And, and I mean, like, and then you think about, like, the interconnectedness of those aquatic ecosystems. And, like, you, if you lose or harm the population of one species, I mean, then in, in a certain area, then that can, like, decimate entire... Like, that can just completely tear down the foundations for entire aspects of the so like i mean the effect that oil spills can have on the ecosystem like a lot of other um man-made <laughs> problems um as a result of resource exploitation is just huge like the effect that it can have um without you really knowing it yeah it's it's massive um and now that more uh ooh, here's, here's an, another exciting story so thanks to climate change um the arctic is melting and so it's becoming more and more possible by ship um, for longer periods of the for longer periods of the year. Um, and surprise, surprise, there's oil in the Arctic. Uh, and so now, now there's the massive con uh, sort of conquest of the Arctic. As now that it's possible by ships, uh, more and more countries are trying to get into drilling in the Arctic. But that must be such a fragile ecosystem. It's already being devastated by the melting of all the all the Arctic ice, which is sea ice. There's not really land in the Arctic. It's all sea ice. Um, and that's just being devastated, and now they're coming and drilling it as well. And there's geopolitical ramifications as well because of you know how much of the Arctic, you know, it's never been really a problem before who owned the Arctic, and there were conflicts about where people thought their ex exclusive economic zone. So you have 200 nautical miles of exclusive economic zone from your border, but you can also expand that through continental shelf. So there's massive debates now, um, debates. Uh, between Russia, Canada, uh, Finland, Norway, Sweden, all the countries that actually Sweden doesn't really have any super north coast, but all the different countries that have claims on the Arctic, those claims are now sort of being borne out and with 
it's going to come to a head now that there is oil in the Arctic. And it's not just oil, right? It's also like shipping. It opens up entirely new possibilities for shipping routes, much, much quicker shipping routes. It's, it's, and it's like people are now trying to exploit a, a place that's been so devastated by exploitation, like global exploitation. It's just like exploitation on exploitation. It's like just, it's just so careless and so mindless. And also, did you hear about now there's this, there's new plans to open like a new coal, is it a coal plant or a coal mine in the UK as well? Like they've just given the okay. Yeah, and we have this net zero commitment, but like coal, what century is this? Coal is like a 19th century sort of technology. It's it's the 21st century. It's 2023. First funny failure episode 2023 is coming February this year. But uh, yeah, it's it's coal is just it's not even viable economically at this point. And so it really boggles my mind as to why they think it's okay to open a new coal mine. It's the most it's the dirtiest fossil fuel. All fossil fuels are dirty. Even natural gas is not going cleanly. But they um, coal is the dirtiest fossil fuel. Uh, it is becoming more and more economically inviolable because it's solid fuel. Um, we, you know, there's been times when we haven't used any coal power at all for days on end in the UK. So what what do they think they're doing? Setting up a new coal mine? Uh, it's just it's a really dumb idea, and that's why we're having these justifiable processes, protests, not processes. Uh, which is you know that's that's why we're getting these protests because the government says on the one hand that it wants to do this, these, this, this, and this for the environment. But on the other hand, it's still granting licenses to new fossil fuel exploit exploration and exploitation when we know, like the scientists are telling us, that we just need to, we do literally to just stop oil. We just have to stop all new exploitation of fossil fuel resources because th that's how drastically we've waited, we've dilly-dallied for so long. This is how drastically we have to reduce our consumption of fossil fuels. And it's it's so hard, though. Like, I mean, we and it, it just drives me crazy, absolutely insane every year all of our governments uh from our respective countries go to cop um we had cop 27 cop 27 last year and and it was i mean it was insane i mean the number of things they couldn't agree on the number of things can you you're, that's really loud in my ear the number of things they couldn't agree on the number of things that they didn't talk about they entirely neglected agriculture they didn't talk about, they didn't talk in depth about um, adaptation. They didn't, I mean, like, and they've even pushed up the limit in the past year. And just in discussion, they've pushed up. So, like, initially, whatever it was, COP21 or even maybe earlier from a different, uh, an earlier protocol, I'm not sure. But there was this whole, like, limit that was set, this whole idea of, like, 1.5 degrees Celsius. That's going to be catastrophic and we must prevent two degrees Celsius. And now in discussion and in all the papers released, it's saying we ha we must prevent two degrees Celsius. Two degrees Celsius change is going to be catastrophic. Let's not get to 2.5. It's like they just keep pushing up the margin just so that they can keep investing in, in bad habits. And and the same same thing. I mean, how far will it have to go? And I'm, so, I'm sorry for ranting on this. If you but. want more irony about the whole conference of the parties, COP, uh, do you know where it's being held no, next year? No idea. The United Arab Emirates. No, that was this year. That was last year, was it not? No, last year was Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt. Oh, sorry, my bad. Yeah, I forgot. But it's just, and it's it's. Which is also not the best place. But. Yeah, it's also not the best place. But it's just, where where does that come? Like, how how are they deciding where to do this? I mean, it's it's absolutely insane. And then 
And then they have these discussions that they're having about us reducing emissions and all of this. They're having it sponsored by companies like Coca-Cola, who is like who are like the single most. And I know this is like a side tangent, but they're like the single. I'm pretty sure. Um, I read that they're the the biggest producers of plastic globally. Um, and of course, they have this whole thing with greenwashing, where it's like 25% uh, recycled material and all of our plastic bottles but they're also producing the most plastic so really what does that mean and they're the ones funding this cop and it's like it's it's all about money and that's why we're doing this section like that's why and that's why we're doing this climate justice i mean it's it's government and money um and i know we've been talking a lot about you and a lot about us and what we can do and there's still stuff that we can do but it, it really comes down to i mean in in a lot of different respect it comes down to government and it comes down to money um and lobbying and and so this is what this whole section is about sorry for that side tangent but yeah had to get it out no but it, it's totally an important thing to mention um you know banks it's not only isn't if it's not even only oil extraction and fossil fuel extraction but other sort of related destruction things you know if, if they're funding palm oil exploitation um or anything like that you know uh, that destroys natural habitats um, and other things like that. And I keep saying other things like that. I'm not phrasing this very well, but it's not just oil. There are other unethical practices that are also being funded by banks. I mean, the list could go on and on. Yeah, exactly. Furthermore, banks are dishonest to their customers about this. So it's not only that they're doing one thing that's that's against doing the mission of the human race, but they're also then using... Um, greenwashing tactics to influence unsuspecting customers to bank with them. So they'll say on their website that they care about the environment and they've got this, this, and this target. Um, and that means that most people who might only be, you know, tangentially aware of the environment and the things that we need to protect and, and so on and so forth and aren't super aware about these specific campaigns targeting banks and aren't, don't really realize uh, that trillions of dollars being spent by banks um, to prop up the fossil fuel industry, they they might think, oh, okay, good, Barclays, you know, Barclays is, is being good for the environment and that they're caring about that and that's good to see. So then they sort of don't have as they don't really care about it as much, or they don't bother to, to look into it further, and they're using these greenwashing tactics to to influence customers to to bank with them. Um, and they make shallow promises about their ambitions. So you know, uh, HSBC, for example, is a bank that I'm fairly familiar with, and they, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we care about the environment because uh, we have fully excluded um, coal, but we all know that coal is already like not economically viable. That people are like paying to have Power, coal power stations taken away from them because they're too expensive to decommission. In, in spite of that, it is economically unviable, um, as we were talking about. So uh, they, they make these shallow promises like, oh, we'll stop coal, but you probably would have done that. And it's probably the only reason that you say, you're saying this is you're trying to use this marketing that it's just not economically viable, actually, for you to invest in coal running anymore. It doesn't make much sense. So the thing is that when it comes to the bank's responsibility to the customers, oil is not even a good investment anymore. It, it, there's sort of two sides to this coin. The first side is that its extraction is becoming increasingly risky as fields are being tapped already. Exploration is maybe less likely to return a positive result. And also with the uncertain and well, hopefully uh, minimized fate of oil in the global economy, um, you know, these investments could turn sour pretty quickly. They could become unviable. They could even not return a profit to, to the banks um, because people maybe don't want oil. The price of oil falls, whatever. Um, it's unlikely the price of oil really falls that much realistically because... You know, people don't seem to be transitioning away from oil, and if the, you know the, the supply dries up, that just means even bigger bumper pro uh, profits for the banks and for the 
the oil companies that they're supplying, but it's all the sort of same thing is that, um, you know, renewables do actually give very promising investment opportunities and solar panels, something like that, are getting very cheap and they're giving good returns on investment. And so, so are lots of other renewable projects. And so it's not like they have to sort of sacrifice all their money in order to do something vaguely good. There's, they can still get these profits uh, and return in investments to their customers and to their shareholders uh, if they invest in renewables and other sort of pro-climate things or, or just something neutral, you know. If you invest in, I can't really think of a good example, but then, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure there are products that are sort of fairly neutral on climate. They're not actively trying to help, but they're not actively destroying either. And those sort of middle ground things, you know, that's something else you could invest in, whether, you know, whether that's a tech company, anything like that. Um, Banks are just constantly, um, I mean, like you'll hear all the time, like what you said, I mean, they'll say, we're net zero, we're anti-coal, we're blah, blah, blah. But because, I mean, and some of these things are easy to say while they're still doing, I mean, they can't say we're, we're uh, we don't lobby coal. If they are lobbying coal, I read, like, like that's straight up lying and I don't think that that's allowed. But um, they can say that they're net zero and you have to remember, like they can say that they're net zero and then still lobby for coal. And they can say that they're net zero and still lobby for, for fracking. And they can say that they're net zero and lobby for companies that are producing mass producing plastic products, et cetera. Like they can say that they're net zero and still be having a big climate shadow. And like, this is the thing is like, we always talk about, and this is, we've done an episode on this too. I mean, we've done quite a few now, but we've done an episode on climate shadow. And, and the thing is we, we're so focused on this concept of the climate footprint, which was initially put out by, by uh, the fossil fuel industries um yeah we are so so um like honed in on that footprint that we're only looking at the tip of the glacier we're only really focusing on what like net zero like i i offset and i do this and but really i mean there's so many things that that can that really account to that really count up and add up to 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 what your actual to your actual what your actual impact on the environment is i mean us sitting here trying to educate uh, all of you guys on this that means that hopefully you guys have some takeaway from this and decide to make some improvement and then that also reflects on us and i mean like there's so many things you can do indirectly that are good and so many things you can do indirectly that are bad and their lobbying can be done completely behind closed curtains and they can still put up front that they're net zero. And we have to realize this, that net zero does not mean that they're environmentally friendly. I know that's kind of a loose term, but does not mean that they're truly net zero. It just means that they are allowed to appear that way. Yeah. So if a, if a bank is claiming that they're net zero, they're probably paying some dodgy company, the you know, the lowest bidder, a certain amount of money so that they have some form of carbon credit that says that, you know, their officers... Uh, and you know what airplane trips that their employees take; those are offset, um, offset in you know, quotation marks. It's probably not fully offset. Whereas, then they're definitely not counting the effect of what they're investing in. So it'll probably just be about you know their offices and their administration, which is a tiny, tiny portion of the real impact on the climate that, that they're causing. Um, and there's so many different terms that similar terms like net zero, carbon zero, carbon free, um, true net zero. Carbon neutral, yeah. What what do all these different terms mean? They're 
they're really just marketing speak. Um, except, you know, there's NetSuite in a very scientific sense of, you know, there is zero, you know, we're changing the concentration of carbon dioxide by zero. But other than that, when it's used by companies, it is generally for marketing. It doesn't really cover the impact that they have indirectly rather than just the direct actions. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so let's quickly talk about pensions. If, if you know, just to, so that we understand the, the basic concept of a pension is that you and your employer pay a contribution to a pension fund every year. Um, you know, maybe you and your employer should pay equal parts. This money is invested by the pension fund in whatever, by this pension fund manager. And when you reach your pension age, then they will pay you out a certain amount every year until you do die. So if you just say, say if you just saved up for your retirement yourself, um, then you would be dependent on living a certain number of years. So maybe you say you save up so that you have 20 years worth of money to spend as to, to sustain yourself when you're in your retirement. Then if you live shorter than 20 years, there'll be money left over at the end. So that's basically a waste. But if you live longer than 20 years, then you will be out of money. So basically a pension fund takes away that uncertainty by basically agglomerating lots of people's different uh, pensions and retirement savings and then they pay it, pay it out the same amount every year. So if you live 30 years after your retirement age, you will get the same amount for 30 years, same amount, you know, depend on inflation or whatever. And then if you live shorter, then you'll get the same amount, but for a short number of years. And they sort of cancel each other out, essentially. And the other aspect of the pension fund is that element of investment so that the pension fund grows and that what you put in, you get more than, you get out more than what you put in, ideally. So that's the basic concept of a pension. They act almost like investment funds run by a pension manager who oversees the investment of the pensioner's money or the soon-to-be pensioner's money, whatever. Um, and so in the same way as what we talked about, they often fall foul of the same issues, investing in fossil fuels, arms, tobacco, all other sorts of unethical projects. And people are often, probably even more so than their bank, they, they don't really understand their pension. They, don't, they, don't, they might not even have an option to switch providers. They're locked into this environmentally unfriendly path. Um, and just for reference in terms of what we're talking about and how, how incredible the effect of, of banks and pensions are for the average person, according to an activist group, so you know, take from that what you will, um, switching your pension to a green pension is 21 times, 21 times more effective for, for you know, saving the planet than, according to them, this is a quotation, stopping flying, going veggie, and switching energy suppliers combined. So it's... It's a serious, serious impact. And, you know, if you do one thing, maybe it'll take you a few hours on the phone to sort out switching your pension. But that is going to, because of the money that's involved, that's this raw money that's being invested into fossil fuel extraction and whatnot, that can have a really big impact. And, I mean, I just, just another disclaimer like that, it's, it's from an activist group, might be an exaggerated stat, but still the point stands, the general point stands, is that you're banks your pensioners like they're uh they're all or packet what are they called pension owners how how you how do you refer, refer to that Oz? pension funds pension funds all those places where you pool your money and where you sort of trust your money to go they're constantly investing that and you have no idea to some degree you have no idea what they're investing in um and so i mean it's just so hard to be careful about this it's so hard to to find solutions for this. In fact, um, I don't know if we have more to say, so we might be ready to actually move into solutions. What do you think, Oscar? Yeah. Do you want to yeah. do your guitar thingy? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll do that just now.
Alright, let me just- I'm just gonna unzip my bag and get it. You're listening to Fighting Failure. This is episode 41, all about how the finance industry is destroying the planet. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review and share the podcast with someone who you think will enjoy it. If you'd like to give us a little love in late Valentine's Day spirit, feel free to head to our Patreon, the link is in the show notes, and give a small recurring donation. Thank you for all your support, and without further ado, Fighting Failure presents the solution section of this episode. Alright, so uh, solution number one, switch banks. This is a, a little bit of a hard one to do. Not that switching banks is a terribly difficult process, but finding the bank, that's the hard part. It's not really like there's any bank that's sort of the golden standard, I would say, or the that golden bullet. Obviously, you need to find one that's, that's you know, close to, to where you are and that works for you in your location. So you can't go out of your way to change that. But there are some ways that you can do your own research and find what bank will suit your needs and suit the environment's needs um, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, if you're in the UK, um, there are tons of resources uh, that I've put in the show notes, which might also be helpful if you're not in the UK. So there's a list of like top 60 banks or something, and you can like, have a look at the, sort of their policies on the climate. There's tons of stuff available online if you just have a look. If you're in the UK, there's something called the Current Account Switch Guarantee. So this means that you can switch from any UK bank to any other UK bank, and they guarantee that all your money will get there, all your direct debits will be transferred, all that sort of stuff will move over as well. So that should work. Um, really well if you're if, if you're finding it difficult to move banks you know maybe you're in a country that doesn't have the same sort of assurance then um, perhaps you can find a green bank that operates in your country and then you can open an account with them put your a lot of money in that account so that you know you're financing green investment rather than evil investment but then you've still got that sort of um, all the stuff set up in the old bank but um, ultimately just do what you can this is not financial advice but do your research have a look around because as we talked about in the problem select section it's a really powerful tool um, to be able to change your climate shadow and your carbon impact from um, how your money is spent. Yeah. And this leads us like sort of into the next point, which is about raising awareness. This is something anyone can do. This is something that we're doing. We're two random teenagers living on two continents in random places, pretty random. I guess Oxford's pretty not random, but pretty random places. I mean, if we can, if we can get on this podcast and talk to you guys about this, you guys can easily, um, easily, easily talk to your parents about this, talk to your friends about this, talk to your family about this, um, and just think about it in general. Uh, and there's so many ways that you can do this. I mean, just let the lobbyists know, um, what you want, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and obviously it's a little bit of a hippie. I, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, a, it's a great thing to do. Activism is 
great and it's not always successful and it sometimes it feels like you're going nowhere and sometimes it feels like you're reaching no one and sometimes it feels like you're unheard but believe me when everyone comes together you leave a you leave a you leave a, a footprint and that that can be a huge like huge stepping stone for change so it's it's really i mean and i know it, it's so hard and again like not everything can can be up to the public because some of it i mean the majority of it like we said is, is up to the government up to to the economy but there's so much that we can do to to push the government because generally throughout the world the government is for the people right um I think it's safe to say in most of the world, the government's for the people and you are the people, which means that you should have that power. So speak up and 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 speak up to these companies and speak up to these um, banks and, and tell them what you want. Raise awareness. Tell other people. Get get a group of people lobbying for change. Lobby the lobbyists for change. Yeah, let governments know you won't serve greenwashing. Let banks know that, that you want change. You can bank your bank. You're a customer. Um, you know, we're much stronger together. Um, but, you know, also, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, tell others. I think I think not enough people understand, you know, there's a classic things of, you know, don't drive a car, pick up litter, you know, don't eat meat, whatever. All these different things that we've been told to do. And I, I haven't really heard switch banks as much part of that. It was, have you seen the effect, if you have, a, like, a lot of money sitting in a pension fund or in a savings account, the effect of that money being invested in fossil fuels is far greater than any act, individual action that you will ever be able to do, um, you know, short of being like Greta Thunberg. Or short of personal lobbying and for the fossil fuel industry and perhaps mass-consuming fossil fuels if you do a lot, way too much driving. Anyway, that's besides the point. Oscar is right in the fact that the companies that you invest in and the companies that you put your money in and even what you buy in the store, I mean, this this spreads so much farther than banks, right? Like right now we're talking about banks, but like we've talked about this in, you know, in former seasons, like when you go to the store, what you buy, that has an effect. So you're buying a Coke, like th everything you do has an effect. Not that you have to stop buying Cokes. I, I like to have a Coke every once in a while, but it's like, it's just a matter of, of being conscious of what you're doing because there's everything you do has an impact. Yeah, precisely. You know, people think they don't have an individual impact, but you, know, you can you can calculate that. You know, say for every because um, it, it's all about averages, really. Say say you're boycotting a certain project that will that has been shown that it will reduce it. Well, it won't reduce by one to one, but maybe if you buy you know one say book of Nutella, so you buy one fewer jar of Nutella that will reduce the number of jars of Nutella produced by like zero point seven or something like that. <clears throat> so it, it it does work that there is an effect, and that's effect even bigger when when you spread the message. So, the the other side of this coin of individual action. Don't quote that zero point seven, banks. please. Don't don't, don't quote no, that's, that. Yeah, that's yeah. just. It's the, it's not an exact power. statistic, but like, do not quote for, that for entertainment purposes only. That's just sick. So, um, banks form such an important part of investing that they could provide much deeper investment for a greener future. If you think about if trillions of dollars, literally trillions of dollars, are being spent on the fossil fuel industry by banks, even a fraction of this amount could just go so far towards resolving so many of the technological issues. If you think about it, you know, a lot of people don't like to think about it this way for a good reason in terms of just, oh, let's just spend money to fix the climate crisis. But from, ooh, I'll speak that, from a technological point of view, there is so much that could be done if we spent a lot of money resolving this issue. And that's been shown that scientists have calculated, and I don't have the number off the top of my head, 
on the show notes that matter, but scientists have shown sort of how much money they, they can quote you a number, how much it would cost to fix this issue, just to fix it. And, you know, there are certain things that are the most effective, most effective way to spend money to. And, and banks really have fantastic leverage that could create positive change if it, if it's applied correctly. Like there's so many, I mean, if, if banks can lobby and if, if, these pension funds can lobby, and if these companies that we invest in, if they can lobby for, for fossil fuels, and th- then they can lobby for renewables, and they can lobby for change, and you just have to show them that you have interest in that change, and that, that you want to see that change. And, I mean, that goes right back to sort of raising awareness and and being vocal, right? I mean... You can ha- you can create change just by speaking up, um, and and I mean with with the power that they hold, um, because money is power, right? We've talked about this. Money is in money is in a sense power. It it enables um, change, right? And with that money that those those big companies and those banks own, they can make huge change. They can be huge lobbyists for positive change all across the spectrum, not just environment, but for everything. So, I mean, it's really just about, you know, showing showing interest in change and telling them that you want that change and finding the best bank for you um, and the best options for you. Um, and lastly, transparency is key. Oscar, would you like to elaborate? <sighs> Let's see that now. Looks like he is off the meat. Looks like we've just hit our seventh uh, technical difficulty of the day, but I mean to finish this off, right? Um, you are a voice for change. Your banks are lobbyists for change, and so when you voice that you want change to your banks, there can be there's a huge huge margin of possibilities for what you can do and for what they can do. You just have to represent that interest and um, and you just have to find what's right for you. And if, if your bank's not receptive to that and if, and if you're not making any progress, then maybe it's time to shift. Um, and that's not too hard to do. Like Oscar said, there's links in the show notes if you're in the UK. Um, but all you have to do is go online. I mean, Google's a great tool. It's a great tool. And... Um, and there's lots on there about policies um, from different banks. So, I mean, you can do your research and really make a change on this one. So I will wrap it up now because I don't know where Oscar's gone. Um, thank you all so much for your support um, on this episode and of our podcast. Um, and we will see you next time. Thank you and goodbye.